Welcome to Three Boys in a Bar, your weekly film and whiskey review podcast. Join us each week as we review a film and a whiskey. You can follow us on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar, or send us an email with your own film reviews and whiskey recommendations. Three Boys in a Bar at gmail.com. Now, let's get into this week's episode. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Three Boys in a Bar. The podcast that reviews movies and drinks delicious and sensational whiskies. I'm joined here today by Marco. Hey, hey. And Will. Hey. Hey, guys. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks, Tom. You know, it's uh, been a beautiful week down here in Melbourne. It's a shame that we only get an hour a day to see it all. But obviously a lot of time to see a lot of movies, which is good as well. Absolutely. That's it. So, Will, I believe it's your choice for film this week and... Why don't you describe what we what we watched and um, what you thought? Yeah, nice. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this week we watched The Current War. So The Current War has had something of a turbulent life. It was produced by TWC, or most people know as the Weinstein Company, way back in uh, 2017, and or at least it was set for release in 2017, but was basically shelved when the now confirmed abuse of Harvey Weinstein was first publicized. It did get a release at the Toronto International Film Fest in that year, uh, but it wasn't until last year, 2019, that it had a theatrical release in the US and the UK with new distributor deals having been done. What was released in the version that we just watched on Apple iTunes is actually known as the director's cut, which Alfonso Gomez Rion, the director, put together after the film's initial kind of lukewarm uh, audience response. So they went back and filmed five additional scenes and cut a limit, 11 minutes off the original runtime. So unfortunately, however, this turbulent backstory really, for me, rivals the actual movie for plot and intrigue. <laughs> so and look, while that's a bit harsh, um, and before I do get into my review, I'll just give a brief rundown of what this movie is about. So we meet Thomas Edison, the inventor extraordinaire, who we know as the light inventor of the light bulb and early prototypes of the motion picture camera and phonograph, and his battle with George Westinghouse. Primarily, the rivalry between the two is over or was over whose electric current would power the USA, Edison's direct current or Westinghouse's alternating current. And for those... AC to DC will know who won the so-called war. So there aren't any really spoilers here. And that's really all you kind of need to know about this film. There's some sort of B stories, some that work better than others. For me, Edison's marriage to his wife, Mary is a really nice part of, or sub story subplot, but we really don't get a lot of it. And one that doesn't work for me is that sort of obscure side story about the introduction of the electric chair, which just felt uh, almost needlessly tacked on. And I understood the point they were making by introducing that, but I didn't like that. So I want to talk about what this film does get right. So A, it's casting. We see Benedict Cumberbatch as Edison go head to head with Michael Shannon as Westinghouse. Uh, and But there's also a, uh, a host of supporting characters played very ably by the likes of Tom Holland, 
uh, Matthew McFadden, Tom's doppelganger, Nicholas Holtz, uh, Thomas Middleton, uh, Catherine Waterston. It's a really, really good lineup, and the performances are all on point. No one really seems to put a foot wrong. And yet it's still a movie that doesn't seem to click into gear. The other thing for me that really works is the design. So the production design, the costume design, and to a lesser extent, also the cinematography. So the production design uh, is by Jan Rolfs, and she transports us superbly back to the late 1800s with some particularly stunning train carriage interiors, as well as the grand finale at the Chicago World's Fair. Similarly, the lavish costuming by Michael Wilkinson really fleshes out the social standing of our main characters and the world they lived in with some beautiful, rich textures and all the trimmings of a period drama that you'd expect and love. I mentioned the cinematography, um, who in this film was Chung Hoon Chung, the Korean cinematographer, and I think he's done a really nice job of capturing those wonderful actors I just mentioned and this beautiful world created by the costume and the production design. So that's the things that I think the movie does get right. But what it isn't really able to do, in my opinion, is really get the story right. I just don't think there's enough meat in it to make it a truly great movie. I think the portraits drawn of our two main men are interesting, especially Edison, who's this kind of highly complex man who is both uh, loving and devoted, yet also often absent father. He's arrogant, brilliant, yet also at times kind. Probably the most intriguing part of his journey, I thought, was the battle of the principles that he has to deal with. To a lesser extent, Westinghouse is, without being the main hero of the piece, the hero of the story. He's much more of a straight-down-the-line good guy type character, and Michael Shannon's portrayal is everything that I think the script asks of him. So, guys, I think, unfortunately, this story didn't really grab me. I I followed the movie but wasn't gripped by it. The performances were really solid, and I think it's a movie that will be of passing interest to some people, but I doubt that this is going to end up on anyone's favourite movie list. So... Boys, that's me. Marco, why don't you let me know what what you thought of The Current War? Well, speaking of, this has to fit in probably one of my top top 10 films of all time. (laughs) You're such a hilarious, hilarious man. No, like, unfortunately, I, I agree with quite a lot of what Will has to say. It is... It, it is what it is. It's a historical-based piece, and unfortunately it's always you kind of know what you're going to get when you go into watching these films, which is a, a dramatised, well-performed version of history. Sometimes these films are great, but in terms of this film, the stakes are just not really high enough and the, the drama itself is not that well-crafted to be anything more than just a retelling. Um, I think the performances from all the cast are amazing, which I will say is all-star. I mean, it is ridiculous that you have Nicholas Holt, that you have Benedict Cumberbatch, Michael Shannon, you've got, um, I mean, the the list quite literally just goes on for who you would consider all-star cast. I mean, Catherine Waterson as well has become quite big in recent years. It's, It's a huge film, but, and as good as all the performances are, it doesn't it doesn't do anything you don't expect 
Benedict Cumberbatch was very convincing as this distant inventor who breaks his one moral code. It's kind of like the Batman of the electric wars, eh? (laughs) (laughs) And then Michael Shannon playing as Westinghouse. I thought he did a good job, but he, he was just Michael Shannon. I mean, he was almost like the same similar note that he played as General Zod in freaking Superman just without the screaming. I mean, it was all very typical Michael Shannon's one-note level-headedness. And it's it's what you get what you pay for with him. I think that's the thing. He's a great actor, but I think he does his one thing very well, and that's about it. Um, The one thing I really want to highlight, though, is the costume design specifically for Nikola Tesla. His suits and coats were the most amazing things in the entire film. Agreed. And Agreed. I want all of them. Agreed. I don't Agreed. care. Like, and I, I, th- I personally, I quite like the story of Tesla and what apparently he came up with. And I was a little bit disappointed that his role was in this film was very minimal, but I do understand that it's not his story. And obviously he still was a part of the history of it all. So he needed to be in there. Yeah. I thought all in all, it was, it's, it's an entertaining watch. It's not a horrible film, but it doesn't, it's not going to reach any lofty heights by anyone's standards. Yeah. Thanks Marco. Thanks Will. And that was excellent introduction. I, I totally agree with both of you. I thought this film was, you know, on paper, it has, it sounds like a fantastic premise. It's basically an interplay between, you know, the celebration of ideas um, juxtaposed by the um, the tensions created by ego, commercial ambition, um, and also like the impact this all has on moral responsibility and how you go about realising these ideas and how you how they manifest and what and how they will develop in society, what use they will be put to. All of that sounds like a fantastic idea, except, you know, you need to give it, if it's going to be in a film, it has to have direction. And I think the, the 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 critical thing in this film is that there were probably just too many subplots, just too many th- too many roads that they were going down to try and explore this whole rivalry between George Westinghouse and Tom Edison. I thought, I, I agree totally with you, Will, that I thought the 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 concept the the uh, the subplot around the electric chair was actually just not interesting, and it, it really just slowed things down a lot. What was re- what was the best part of the film was the was the rivalry. And I thought Nikola Tesla was a great character and Nicholas Holt did a great, gave a great performance. But again, I felt like he was kind of really didn't have a lot. He didn't have much to do with the film anyway. And I, you know, I, I thought his backstory was really interesting, but it, it really didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I, 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 I think I'm kind of of two minds about this film. I, I actually didn't mind it. I thought, I thought the, I thought the script was pacey. I thought the dialogue was well-written. Um, I thought the characters were fantastic. I thought the actors did an excellent job. They really knew their characters. At the same time, though, I felt I came out of it feeling a bit cold. Like I, I didn't. I felt like because Benedict Cumberbatch and Michael Shannon were playing characters who were intellectual geniuses. In some respects, they I couldn't really couldn't really empathise with them. I, I don't know what it was. I think they were just. I think it's, the point was that they were so driven by their work, and and the film, the way the film starts, it just starts from the get go. Like there's no need for like a serious introduction into each character. They're already at the at the height of their game. They're both very intellectual and successful people, um, and I didn't mind that. I actually loved being dropped right into the thick of the action. But and and it and it helped with the with the um the pacing. 
but at the same time, there was a something about the film that was lacking. I just couldn't. I could I could see what the what the actors were doing, and I got the characters, but at the same time, I just couldn't um, be invested in them. Maybe it was the fact that this being a you know a Harvey Weinstein film, you know these kind of films all tend to have like a, a formula associated with them, and they tend to pick actors who are very successful and renowned and good at good at what they do, but they do they do end up getting typecast in movies of this kind, and I think that's probably part of the reason why I didn't feel as invested. Um, otherwise, I thought, yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, I thought Chung Hoon Chung was an incredible cinematographer, some fantastic images. There was a great scene in particular in a stagecoach where you've got this great slant. You've got Tom Edison sitting on one side of the coach, his family on the other. The the carriage is moving at a is moving at a slant on the road, but it kind of shows that the family are together. But when you're sort of alternating shots between the between them on either side, it also shows that they're kind of diametrically opposed or there's some kind of opposition in some way. Mm. I thought it was a really clever touch um, um, and great and like, you know, great direction work from Alfonso Gomez Rejon. Mm. Um, I thought it was a, I thought, you know, I thought there were some beautiful things and, and I mean, no pun intended, this being all about electricity and lighting. The lighting was amazing in this film. <laughs> I actually um, thought, it, I actually thought it was, it was fantastic. The beautiful shades and the shadows. There's a great scene of um, uh, George Westinghouse walking across a bridge and, he, and they've captured this effect where the sunlight's been streaming in off screen. It captures these, this like, this ray of sunlight captures the dust to his, to his right. And it just sort of formed part of this beautiful canvas. So some fantastic imagery. The first shot in particular as well, as well was mm. just amazing. I agree. Yeah. Um, but that, that's where yeah. they're walking through the kind of field of light bulbs, right? Yeah, that's no, that, 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 too, that too. I'm actually thinking oh. the, um, the snow, the, um, the snowstorm at the very start. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. But I don't know, but that was just effective. Um, I, I really grabbed me. I thought, look, I thought this was a good film. It was a competent film. And I, and I, and I'm actually very glad that um, the director's cut is shorter than the cinematic release because it needed to be a pacey film. Um, but at the same time, I felt like there were too many subplots, too much was going on. Yeah. And I agree with you, Marco. I didn't feel like the stakes were high enough. The kind of drama that was being created, especially from um, Matthew McFadden's JP Morgan, you know, I was a bit, I felt like it was a little bit contrived sometimes just to create drama and to have a bad guy. And then fine. And I'll just, I'll just sort of end on, on one note. I thought Tom Holland gave a very excellent, subtle performance. He was an excellent counterpoint to um, Benedict Cumberbatch's Edison. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, all, all great points. And it's funny guys, how sometimes we so agree on films and it's like, ah, oh, but what, what, you know, we, I, I like it when we disagree about stuff and then it's like, oh, okay, we all kind of think. <laughs> and it's, oh, but maybe one thing I do want to ask is why something with all these great things going for it, and maybe we have talked about it, but why it fell flat? Was it just simply that the whole premise, this who's going to win the, the current war, really, is not, there wasn't enough at, at stake in that and, and although the dialogue, I think Marco, you said this that the oh no, Tom, sorry that you thought it was really re- well written. Sorry, whoever said that, but I agree with you that like it wasn't that the script was hammy in any way. But I just thought that maybe getting across what those stakes meant to the characters 
and our ability then to empathize and understand what that meant. That was what didn't come across because there are so many great things. I'm as both of you were talking, I was like, yeah, what was it that didn't work? And I'm like, maybe it was that, that, that by the end of the film, I was like, uh, what was the arc and what was the main thing at stake and who just won? So that's how mm. I feel. I don't know. Do you guys but, have an opinion on that? I agree. There was no definite objective um, except for a rivalry and how it meanders or how it evolves or whatever it is. Mm. Well, they had no personal stakes. I mean, there was no, it wasn't the sort of thing where if they failed, they lost everything. It was more, I mean, you look at, uh, Edison, I, he wanted to be, I mean, he truly believed that his system was better, but that was the only reason why he was doing it. It was more that he believed in his own work. He didn't have an emotional investment in actually getting it right. And look, apart from that. Yeah. And, and because we know now which system we use, there's an interesting tension because he's fighting as arrogant and egotistical as Edison is for something that in the end was inferior to what Westinghouse did. So I thought that was an interesting feeling for an audience to have. And yet Westinghouse had this kind of quiet confidence. He didn't have the bravado of Edison. And, uh, and yet, yeah, I was like, okay, maybe he, like that was in my introduction, I said he's sort of the hero, but not the hero. Like it's clearly Edison's story, really, predominantly, that's where I feel like the weight of the film sits is with Benedict Cumberbatch or maybe his performance is just more nuanced. So I gravitated towards him and yet it's Westinghouse that sort of triumphs. I don't know. Like maybe this is, this murkiness is what we're trying to uh, unpick is what didn't work. Well, I think uh, when you compare the two, it's not necessarily about who is right and who is wrong because I mean, both of them did, did things that were a bit questionable towards the other so like i wouldn't even think that saying necessarily michael shannon was the the hero of the film it's just a a telling of history which i think actually leads into the problem that you were saying tom is that it is too bloated because i think to an extent all of these things happened which is always a really you know which is which is a really fascinating angle but and i think and i kind of feel like that's what they were trying to do in this film but the problem was that there was just no um direct realizable consequence that was going to have a personal effect on the characters like you mentioned will um i totally agree with that view you know how you know what you know what what exactly was was edison's need was it a need to be rich and successful was it to have a legacy or was it just that his need was that he actually just needed to pursue ideas and the he and wanting to pursue ideas in a morally responsible way like i i love the i love the irony that that situation creates but I, but for some reason, I think there were just so many ideas in there that it was it was difficult to try and make the audience realize what that irony was and to really deliver that. Um, this this could definitely have been an HBO miniseries. In fact, I think it could it should have been if there was enough material to go with it. But I feel like to sort of cram this into a hundred minutes of um, runtime made everything feel shallow as a result. Yeah, and one one thing I will say that I did also like was around the character of Tesla because we didn't see a lot of him, but he leaves us with one of the main messages of the film, which was his dream of detaching power from profit. And I thought that that was a really great message to have in there that even at the birth of 
electricity for the wider populace that there was this thing, there was this idea and dream of the power that had been interwoven in Edison v Westinghouse that Tesla was trying to kind of do something bigger. And there was this also other beautiful moment around Tesla when he gets sort of screwed over by his investor and the investor says, there'll never be anything with the name Tesla on it again. And as a 21st (laughs) century watcher, you think, oh, buddy, you are so wrong there. So I I did love love those kind of moments. And, And also just the feeling that this moment in history absolutely played out. And I'm watching the film on TV. I'm streaming it through the internet so rely on reliant on the technology that these men and the people who worked on this stuff were just it was their life's work and we can so take for granted i actually appreciated that quality to the movie watching experience as well even though that was perhaps a byproduct or a secondary thing to the story itself i believe that edison consulting on the electric chair and basically saying that Westinghouse did it. I'm pretty sure that plot point is only in there because it actually happened or is alleged to have happened because there's a lot of these little nuanced plot points that have no rare, like no relevance to what actually happens in the story. They're not, they don't push the story forward. They don't change the stakes for any of the characters. They're just there. So I feel like they're trying to almost be too faithful to what may have happened. I don't know the history very well, so I can't say that for certain that all of these events actually happened, but perhaps that's where they fell short. They didn't, they tried to tread that line between fact and fiction and dramatization. And in steering too close one way, they kind of botched the whole thing up. It kind of makes me, this, this, kind, this movie kind of makes me think of a Michael Mann film. Michael Mann movies are very um, about, you know, the, the protagonist in, a, in these, in those films always, are, you know, it's always about people who are, who define themselves by their work. Yeah. I've got to say one thing we can all agree on in this film, I'm going out on a limb here is seeing the golden age of invention playing out in a reality is awesome to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the idea, I mean, I'm sure that it still happens today, but it's a lot more clinical and the, the advancements are not as monumentous as they were back then. I mean, discovering electricity is not the same as bringing out the iPhone 46, which has a slightly better camera. That said, the discovery of the vaccine for coronavirus, you know, that might produce a movie-worthy story at some point. And you know, sure as hell, America is going to make one through Hollywood and they're not going to be as dumb as they're acting right now. Yeah, the studios will be right on, will have their finger on the pulse for this for that story. Um, they do have this tendency to announce a film in production, you know, almost a month after some major event has happened. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be like next action hero, except he's a scientist fighting COVID. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can see it being like a rival, like again, like a rivalry concept (laughs) where like two like rival pharmaceuticals and they might maybe throw in a spy or some kind of like corporate espionage in there to make it sound really interesting. Um, It's the the vaccine war. Totally. The (laughs) COVID-19 story. Yeah. And and then 
tell me that there's not going to be a China or a Russian bad person. You know, they'll be the baddies in the whole thing. Classic. Absolutely classic. <laughs> well, guys, I think that's an opportunity for us to start writing a screenplay um, and pitch that idea. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll join the ranks of all the other people in isolation. They're like, you know what people want to see is more stuff about COVID and isolation. <laughs> I was thinking of going back to my roots in musical theatre and doing COVID the musical. I'm sure it'd be very infectious, Will. <laughs> we forgot to mention at the start of this podcast, I have been sipping on the beautiful Tokenoka blended whiskey from the Egashima Brewery in the city of Akashi in the Hyoga Prefecture. Now, this is a beautiful drop of whiskey. It is so light and luscious. I'm going to go through the tasting notes now, though. It's a very good excuse to pour myself another glass. I think I'm going to add some Google Map pictures to our <laughs> whiskey reviews so people can see where these things are from. I don't think that's probably a good idea because, I mean, we've been all around the world. We've been we've done Isla. We've done some Irish whiskey. We've done some Aussie stuff, some Japanese. So, I mean, I, I have every intention of doing some bourbon and rye whiskeys in the coming weeks so we can visit the American side of the pond. And But um, this Tokenoka, it's so light on the nose. Like, there's, there's no harshness of alcohol. It's just... It's so soft. It's got a little bit of a woody, a woody tinge to it, like lightly charred white oak. Very <laughs> it specific is actually, choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it is actually from it's the, a white oak distillery. So anyway, um, yeah, it is beautifully light. It's so hard to describe because it is so subtle. There's a little bit of fruitiness to it, but it's not bold. There's a little bit of smoke to it, but it's not bold at all. It all just mixes into this beautiful little smooth cocktail of Japanese perfection. Like, this is a beautiful sipping whiskey, um, as I'm absolutely not drinking it like that because it is just too damn good. But this is a beautiful whiskey. I, I don't know what else to say. I really don't. I can't pontificate like Will can about how beautiful and whimsical it is, but very light in colour, I guess, and a beautiful tiny little bottle. Um, good luck getting any boys because this is probably going to end with me. Well, we've been getting – that's that's two good reviews of um, Japanese whiskeys. So it's – Look, the – I, I think the region is quite amazing. I mean, this this particular brewery, alcoholic beverages since 1679, not whiskey, but alcoholic beverages. doesn't say what they're actually making, and I couldn't find it in my brief maybe research. Sake or but it, it, I, I would assume it's mm. sake or maybe some sort of uh, reishu or something like that. Um, but they've been producing whiskey since 1919. So this is a brewer, a distillery with a hundred over a hundred years of whiskey knowledge. So while it is incredibly different from the origin of whiskey, for a blended, it is beautiful. And just seeing it on the screen, Marco, it has a beautiful colour as well. Mm. It's it is a light golden colour. I. I I would like to say there'll be some left for There's you. There's definitely boys, not going to um, be any left for us. 
I like don't even put that out there. <laughs> well, when we have our big whiskey thon, once we're allowed to leave, leave. I'm, I'll leave one dram for each of you. Uh, even I, yeah, I'm not buying. It's not going to happen. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to very subtly buy a second bottle when we actually get to that. <laughs> anyway, I think that probably brings us to the scoring for the week. So. Tom, why don't you kick us off? How did you score the current? Yeah, thanks, ball? Marco. Um, look, this was one. This was a hard one to score because there were good things to say about it, but you know, like I, it's not going to be the sort of movie that I'm going to go out of my way to watch again. Um, but that being said, I think when you watch it, I, I, look, it's a recommendation for me. For me, I would. I, I'm going to give the writing a. Um, no, sorry. I'll start with the acting. I thought the acting was very was very competent. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch, Michael Shannon, Tom Holland, uh, Nicholas Holt were all, were all excellent. Um, I thought also Tuppence Middleton and Catherine Watterson were excellent as the as Mary Edison and Marguerite Westinghouse, respectively. They were just fantastic. Um, so I'm giving it a three and a half acting. Direction, I'm giving a three. I thought Alfonso Gomez Rejon did a good job. I gave the technical a four. I uh, and and I'm and I would say that the big the two key takeaways were the costume by Michael Wilkinson and camera work by Chong Hoon Chung. Um, I'd also want to say before I forget that I also thought the music score was excellent. Really loved the clickety soundtrack. Kind of reminded me of a tournament in some in some cases, but I thought it was really effective. Finally, the writing I'm giving a three. I mean, I thought Michael Mitnick did gave a, a very competent script. But I think that this is one of those things where there are just too many ideas and how you can sort of create direction in a story when you have too many themes or subplots. Um, could, have done without the, could have done without one or two subplots, I think. But overall, um, I'm giving it a 13 and a half out of 20. Will, what did you think? Yeah, I'm giving the story two and a half. As we've been talking, I was reflecting that was a really well-written script. The dialogue was well-written. There was everything for the actors to work from, but yet it sort of had that big hole that we've been trying to circle around and figure out what that was. And I just think that that is the story in itself. So that's my lowest score, the two and a half. Performance is a three. I thought they were very, very good. And in some ways I could score it higher, but I think, it, they were just working with what they had, and I, it's a very, very solid three. As is direction, a very, very solid three. I think what the director was able to draw out of his performers was really, really great. And I think what people will get from watching this is it's very pleasurable in a sense to watch because it visually looks great and the performances are great but there is this thing that is lacking. So I can't score any of those segments higher. The technical, I'm giving a three and a half in recognition of the production, costume design and the cinematography. So overall, that brings me to a 12. Thanks, Will. Well, uh, short and sweet, I gave story a two. I thought that the writing was snappy and everything, but I just can't give it that highly because there were too many ideas. Like we said, it was a bit of a convoluted mess with all the little elements that came in that didn't service the message and the true direction of the narrative. Uh, performances I gave a four. I 
Tom Holland was amazing. Benedict Cumberbatch brought it. Michael Shannon brought it. it. As far as I'm concerned, all the performances were great in this film for what for what it was. Direction, I gave a three. I thought as a whole, the film was brought together quite well, like marrying between the score, the production design, the cinematography, and the performances all came together quite well. And technical, I gave a three. I thought the cinematography was great. I definitely have to shout out the, again, once again, the costume design. Absolutely amazing. Nikola Tesla, I'd like, I would, anything in his wardrobe I want, um, which gives me a 12. Thanks, mate. Well, look, so I, I don't think we've, um, we've gone a bit, you would say it's a recommendation? Look, I think it's a watch. Uh, I mean, it's kind of on the fence. I think if you're if you've got a vested, if you've got an interest in Edison, Tesla, or Westinghouse, I would watch it. Even if it's a if the interest in Tesla is in passing, because I think that he's obviously the smallest player in this film. So yeah, it's a watch from me. And will you you gave it a recommendation? I think so. You know, this for me is right up my parents' alley. They will love it. So. If you're of a certain generation and a certain person, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Am I going to recommend it to my 13-year-old nephew? Probs not. <laughs> Stick to Marvel. <laughs> yeah, I'd give it a recommendation as well. I think there's going to be some people out there who do love to watch Benedict Cumberbatch um, acting when he's not on Sherlock. Um well, guys, thanks very much for today. If you if you enjoy this program, then do let us know and um, do do reach out to us and give us comments if you have any thoughts about the films that we review or if there's any recommendations for films that we should seek out. Um, get in touch with us at Instagram at three boys in a bar at Insta. It's three with the number three, and otherwise email us at, G- at our Gmail account three boys in a bar at gmail So, Marco, I believe it's your choice for film next week. Yeah, thanks, Tom. So I, I'm actually really excited about this one. Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I love his work. I mean, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a brilliant piece of writing and cinema. I mean, it's one of the films that I studied at school and I still love the film, which is a really, really big, uh, I think that's a big compliment to it. It is beautiful and mind-bending and I really hope that, this film does the same, which I'm sure it will. So we can we have that to look forward to next week. And I believe it's me on whiskey next week. So I'm I'm really excited to find a whiskey, a good whiskey. Um, I'll have a, but I'll uh, do some research and uh, get back to you. Nice. All right, thanks guys. Thanks, thanks yeah. Marco. Thanks Will. Thanks Tom. Thanks Tom. See you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to Three Boys in a Bar. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar or send us your own whiskey and film recommendations to threeboysinabar at gmail.com. Stay tuned for a spoiler cast if we have one happening this week. Otherwise, we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.